Uh, guys, thank you so much for braving the weather. Thank you for coming here, even though UK is playing. We all know they're going to win anyways, so thank you for just being here faithfully. Um, tonight, we're finishing up our sermon series on All In. And when I started this sermon series, I told you that we were going to be talking about specific characters in the Bible who stepped out in faith, uh, specific people who really went all in for God. And um, tonight, I had a message. Um, it was going to be about Timothy. And I was going to talk to you about how Timothy didn't make excuses, that he just went all out for Jesus. That message is currently sitting in my trash can in my room. Uh, Because God does what he does, and yesterday during Burlington Baptist Cares Day, I just kept feeling like God was saying, talk about this, talk about this. Um, So tonight is a message not on a specific person, but a message centered around Matthew chapter 10. Now, to give you a little um, backstory, we're starting in um, verse 5. But before that, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, and he's saying, you guys need to pray, for the harvest is plentiful. So basically, he's saying there is need everywhere. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so he's telling them in this moment, you're the workers, so pray to the God of the harvest that he might bring out his workers, and he might bring people into your life. And what Jesus was telling him was literally, pray for people to come into your world, into your backyard that you can minister to, that you can reach out to, that you can speak truth to. So before we get into that message and those words, um, would you just pray with me? Dear God, thank you for tonight, and thank you for being a God um, who gives us so many blessings to be thankful for. Uh, This is such an awesome opportunity to get together with friends and brothers and sisters, uh, and just have a time of worship have a time of learning from your word um, and drawing closer to you. And God, I just ask that as we go through this message, um, that we are changed, that we're open to understand maybe for the first time this scripture and this passage for the truth that's in it. I mean, God, I just pray that when I speak that it's completely you, um, that it's your words and your truth. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So starting in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, it'll be on the screen. We're using the message version of the Bible. Um, one person said to me one time, why do you use that translation? That's just a paraphrase. And it was one of those really religious people. And they said, well, how do you feel about New International Version and ESV and King James Version? What version is the best and holiest for you? And I said, well, I think the version that's holiest is the version that you're reading. So, but, <laughs> sorry, God, that was a pride moment. Forgive me. But no, it's completely irrelevant. So starting in verse 5, it says this. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. See, I want to pause right here because I think that first part is so important in our culture and our day. Right off the bat, he says, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And I feel like as Christians, when we want to be all in, and we have this idea of all in, we also think it needs to be all out. And so that means traveling to Africa or Uganda or different places and building wells and and, and doing all these things for people in foreign missions. But you see, the problem with that is so often, Christians buy their plane ticket, hop on that plane, and on their way there, they step over dead bodies that are at our doorstep. We step over people in needs, uh, people that are right here in our community and in our backyard. And I love the second part of this. It says, and don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Um, The fact of the matter is we live in a culture in a day and age where we love the spotlight. Uh, We love the attention. And God is saying right here, yeah, it would be really easy to type on your Facebook or to tweet something that's relevant, that's a hot topic, that talks about a political figure or a decision that's being made in the government or something that you want to talk about. Yeah, that would be pretty easy. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to go to a quiet place and talk with me and work through an internal issue because let me tell you, that's not easy. That's difficult because that's real. 
Let me tell you, it's easy to stand with a sign outside of an abortion clinic and picket abortions, but it's difficult to sit with a person who just had an abortion. And the reason she had an abortion is because she was raped. And she's suffering from the loss of a child that she didn't want to lose. See, that's hard. That's difficult. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling his disciples to do right here in this passage. Continuing on, it says, Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring help to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchable. Kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. I love that. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. Travel light. So he tells us where it starts right here in the passage. He says it starts in the neighborhood. It starts in the neighborhood. You see, the beautiful thing about grace is so often I feel like we think, okay, well, it starts in the neighborhood, but what am I supposed to do? What can I do? I'm not who he's talking to right here. Clearly, I'm not who he's talking to. But the scandalous thing about grace is that you might be able to talk to a person and preach the gospel to them, and I might not. I might be able to talk to them and say the gospel, but they might not hear me the way that they're going to hear you. You see, it's a team effort. I want everybody to do this. Take one finger and tap your hand. And if you're not doing this, I'm judging you internally, so you might as well just do it. Okay, now take two fingers. Three, four, five. Now you guys don't realize this, but you're totally cheering on God right now. See, the point of that is one of us can make an impact. Two of us, stronger. And so we build and we make this movement and this change. And that's when we start taking over our neighborhood is when we realize that we are all equipped and that we are all called to be a light in our neighborhood right where we are. We all have a place in the kingdom and to be kingdom makers in our homes and in our neighborhoods. And so uh, I think we need to look at what it looks like to be that. Um, and so we went to Burlington Baptist Cares Day yesterday, and um, we had planned to give food to the homeless in Florence. And we got there, and they weren't there. So short of the long, we had all this chili and all these grilled cheese sandwiches, and we decided that we were going to go across the river, and we were going to go under the bridge um, to a park where we knew that there would be need. And we got over there, and um, just to give you a kind of idea, there's really no illustration or example or reference point in our neighborhood that I could really reference to, to tell you about what this place looked like. Um, basically, the best way I can describe it is it's a place where drugs were prevalent and obvious, um, where brokenness was very apparent. And I'm not saying that we don't have brokenness in our neighborhoods. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I know that for a lot of people who went on this trip, their eyes were opened, that not everything is as perfect and as good as we have in our subdivisions and in our HOAs. Um, and so we started giving this food out. And um, it felt really good. You know, we felt like we were making a difference, and a lot of people started coming up. And then we started hearing things like, this is my turf, and talk between people saying, um, this is my hood, and you don't know me, and uh, things that were gang-related, um, and they were getting louder and louder. And it was at that time where I looked at my sister and said, hey, I want you to get in the car. It was at that point where Big Pete, Tough Pete, went into protector mode and said, guys, we got to go. Um, my point to that is, in that moment, we had to make a decision. In that moment, we had to make a choice. And I thought about this last night. What if one of those people were to move into my neighborhood? What if one of those people were to become my next-door neighbor? I mean, think about that for a second. What if your next-door neighbor in your HOA or your subdivision or wherever you live, you knew was a sex offender? You knew was a drug addict? You knew had some real, real issues, was in a gang? What would happen? I can already picture this expression in your head. Well, there goes the neighborhood. 
And so tonight, that's what I want the message to be called. There goes the neighborhood. Because I think when Jesus is talking in this scripture, he's basically saying, listen, this is what's coming to you. This is what's coming, and you're going to be forced to make a decision. Like we were forced to make a decision here to leave, we're going to be forced to make a decision in our daily lives. Because broken people are going to be coming to our backyards, knocking on our door, and we have to make a decision. Are we going to say, there goes the neighborhood, or are we going to make a difference and an impact and speak to those who are broken and who are hurting and who are in our backyard? That's the question. And so I think uh, the start of this process, the start of becoming all in where we are, doesn't start with us figuring out ways to talk to people. It doesn't start with us coming up with charity events or ways to give or ways to love the community, but it starts inside of us. It starts inside of you and inside of me. And what I mean by that is when we look at Jesus' life, I know for me, when I first went to Bible college, um, I would read all about the miracles and all about the things that Jesus did in his ministry when he was on earth. And I was like, I want to be that. And so I just took off in this full sprint into ministry. I started getting really tired and realizing that I had not properly fed myself to be able to run that race. You see, so many times we want the miracles, we want the power, we want the things that Jesus did in his three years of ministry, but we forget that he, he prepared for that for 30 years. For 30 years, he prepared for that three-year ministry. And we also tend to forget that Jesus stepped back from the crowds. Jesus stepped back from people to get right with God, to have alone time with God, because he knew that without that connection, without him talking to God and being fueled by God, he could never achieve his purpose here on earth. You see, that's what we have to understand tonight, is that if we're not right with God, we're not going to be effective for God. We just won't. You know, a lot of times, I think when we go to present the gospel, and we go to say these things, and and we go to be all in and, and, and reach people. We try to come up with witty expressions or um, creative ways to reach people. And I think the problem with that is we, we tend to just mess up the gospel. Um, I was driving through the city the other day, and I saw a car that had to have been at least a $50,000 car. I mean, it was a nice car. And covering the entire back of the car was bumper stickers. Okay, whoever has bumper stickers, Christians are horribly guilty of this. I don't know why. It's like an epidemic. If you have bumper stickers, you need to repent tonight because they're so tacky. They're ridiculous. So get rid of your bumper stickers. That's what I'm telling you to do. Take that away. You guys can go home. No, I'm kidding. But seriously, I saw this car and I was like, what the heck? It took this beautiful car, this car that was appealing, that was expensive, that was a treasure, and they just made it tacky and unappealing. And I think so many times when we present the gospel and we try to use our words and we try to justify the gospel, we just mess it up. We just make it unappealing. We have to remember tonight that the good news is the good news for a reason. It doesn't need to become old news. It just simply needs to be the gospel. That's all we have to present to people. And, and the only kind of promotion that the gospel needs, the best kind of promotion, is a changed life. The best promotion for the gospel is a changed life. And so it has to start with us. It has to start with you and me and people seeing those things because eventually they're going to say, well, what is so different about that person? And it's not going to be because of the words that you said or the things that you preached about or the things that you tried to talk to them about or the witty comments that you made. It's going to be because your life looked different. It starts with a changed heart and it starts with a changed life from the inside. But you see, that's difficult. That's really difficult for a lot of us. I know it's hard for me. Um, because Christians are constantly on a mad quest for the spectacular. You know, I talked about how we like to have the spotlight on us, but a lot of times we want those big life-changing moments. You know, we don't sit in our beds at nighttime and dream about being good and faithful servants. 
We dream about the glamour of changing lives and orphans being rescued and, and big, big moments where people are just, huge congregations of people are saved and all these things that are wonderful, spectacular moments. But the problem with that is, so often in our quest for the spectacular, we miss out on the supernatural power of God that wants to work in the small things. Because the reality is those small things, those day-to-day things, volunteering for Burlington Baptist Cares Day, becoming a deacon and being a servant-minded person, being there for your friend at 3 a.m. when they just need somebody to talk to and they're brokenhearted, those small things aren't really small things when a big God is working through them. Amen? The small things are the big things when God is moving through them. And don't miss those supernatural moments where God wants to work seeking out the spectacular I mean, you can even look at, at Jesus Christ's life, at Jesus' life. And when I think about the cross and the crucifixion, there's nothing spectacular about the cross, if you really think about it. Jesus, because of the law, because of people, was put on a cross, was beaten, spat at, and cussed at, and he died. He died. When I think about Jesus, and I think about something spectacular in my mind of what Jesus would do, I think of him just breaking that cross in half with his muscles and just striking people with lightning and burning up the huge place. I mean, I just think of these crazy things, but that's not what happened. God had a different plan. You see, him dying on the cross was part of the supernatural plan, was a part of his obedience to God in that moment. And you know what happened three days later? That tomb burst open, giving us life eternally with the Father. You see, that was spectacular. We have to stop seeking out those spectacular moments and realize to get there, we have to lean into the supernatural moments, into the day-to-day, into those moments where we're just having quiet time with God, those moments where we're just doing little things for people here and for there, whether that's handing out grilled cheese sandwiches on a street corner or whether that's just being a friend, you know, sharing each other's burdens. God doesn't ask us to do this alone. That's why we have Thrive. That's why we have this service, is because there's so many people who are hurting who feel like they're alone, and they're not. God didn't make us to be alone, plain and simple. He did not make us to live alone. Another thing that we have to remember is one of those peaks, one of those um, spectacular high moments for us might be just coming to church on a Sunday where we get filled and fueled up. Maybe it's church camp, or uh, maybe it's a revival, or something like that, or Somebody in your life um, gets saved, which is a wonderful thing to celebrate. And you have these peak moments. But the fact of the matter is, if what we talk about and what we discuss here on Sunday doesn't carry into your Monday, we wasted our time. We wasted our time. Because God calls for day-to-day relationship with him, not temporary. You see, his grace wasn't pardoned to us. It is forever. And so our lives shouldn't be this on-parole kind of thing. It should be completely sold out for him day to day to day in all things. And so tonight, um, there's three things that I want to leave you with. Three things to know before you go. I like those little catchy things. The first is this. Stop chasing crowds. Stop chasing crowds. You know, we have to look at Jesus for everything, for our guide, for all things. And so so many times we get caught up in the crowds. But when we look at Jesus' life, Jesus walked away from crowds. And the majority of influential, impactful, meaningful things that are in the Bible are when Jesus was leaving one crowd to go to another. It was in the in-between. It was in the in-between. So stop chasing that moment and start living in the moment. You know what I mean? Second thing is this. Know that you're qualified. Know that you're qualified and get to going. You know, there's this huge misconception in the church that there are two categories of Christians. 
There are the, the holier than holies, and then there are the, the ones that just don't cut it. There are the, the godly leaders, and then there are the ones that just should follow. There's this divide, and the reality is that's not the case. That is a lie from Satan. If you believe in God, you're just as qualified as I am. You're just as qualified as Kent, as Todd. The reality is so many times we bound ourselves. We bind ourselves. We put chains on ourselves in the church, and we look around seeing if we measure up to other people. Guys, you won't. You'll never measure up. But you see, God measured what it costs, and he died on a cross for us so we could live a life of purpose and live a life for him and live a life justified. You see, you're qualified. He qualified us when he died on that cross. So many times when I think about this moment in scripture when Jesus is talking to his disciples, I think, what would it be like in my life if I was one of those people If I was a disciple that Jesus called, you know, I thought at first, man, that would be really cool to get to hang out with Jesus all the time, you know, get to walk with Jesus. But then I started thinking and imagining what it would look like to be standing before this man who was proclaiming to be God the Father, which was blasphemous in that that time, saying, we're going to go against what the law says. We're going to go against everything that really you're being told. We're going to go against the Pharisees, against the Sadducees. You're going to leave everything behind. You're going to have faith in me, who looks like a man. I'm not some mighty warrior soldier. I'm a man, but I'm God. I think I would be terrified. I really do. I think I would be so terrified. And I think so many times we think that these people were these righteous, holy people. We think that they were the saints, but that's the Catholic Church that tells us that, not Jesus. Jesus knew he was picking out when he picked the, the, the disciples. I bet you Peter still had alcohol on his breath Some of those men struggled from depression and anxiety, and they had issues. They were just like you and just like me, and that's what made them prime people for God to move into their lives and move through their lives. You want to know why? Because when they did miraculous things, when they spoke truth, when they healed people and did anything that was good, people didn't say, well, that was because of their merit. Well, that was because they were really talented. Well, that was because they were really, really strong. No, they said that was because of God who worked in spite of them. Guys, I'm so thankful that constantly in my life I see God working in spite of me. Amen? Constantly. See, you are qualified. We read about this golden rule. You know, we're supposed to treat others the way we want to be treated, love others the way we want to be loved. But there's an assumption there in Scripture that we actually love ourselves. And that's kind of an awkward thing to talk about. But maybe for you, one thing that you need to do is walk in front of a mirror and look at yourself and say, wow, there's the one Jesus loves. There's the one whom Jesus loves. Because scripture talks about how you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God for a purpose. And if we can't buy into the fact that God has moved in our life, that God's grace was enough to justify us and to move through us, we'll never be able to preach that message to other people because they won't buy it. We have to believe it ourselves. And so I want to challenge you tonight, whether that's you walk up those doors and go to the bathroom and you look like a fool because you just start talking to yourself, or you go home. But I I just challenge you to look in the mirror and say, you know what? You were wonderfully made. You're qualified. Jesus loves you. You're enough. Challenge you to do that. The last thing that I want to leave you with is we have abundantly more than we could possibly need. So pack light. It says that at the end of that passage, to pack light. And when I started thinking about what that meant, what it meant to pack light, I realized that so many times in my life, I'm always on this quest for more. 
I struggle with this um, feeling of never having enough or never being content. And God's saying, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I'm going to be enough. I'm going to be enough. If, if you keep reading when you go home through Matthew 10, he, they start talking about where will our next meal come from and where we're going to sleep and all these things. And Jesus just says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it because I am enough. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I've caught myself a lot of times being in situations where I know God wants me to move in those little moments, and I haven't. Here's some of my excuses. Well, I just need to study my Bible a little more because I know this person knows his Bible. And so I need to go home and pack that into my bag before I go on this mission and go talk to this person. Maybe that's you. Maybe uh, the excuse for you is, I just need a little bit more experience where the pastor's holding my hand and he's there. I can't do this alone. And so I need that experience. I got to pack that experience into my bag. Or I just need a little more time. Or I just need a little bit more financial stability before I can really give in faith. I just need a little bit more. And so we pack this bag full of stuff. And God's saying, you know what? I am enough. Those times that you say, I need to pack in the words to speak before I go talk to them. He's saying, no, you don't. Pack lightly because I'm going to speak through you. Those times when we say, I just need to put a little bit more money back before I can give radically and help that family. Jesus is saying, no, you don't. Step out in faith and I will provide. I'm enough. Time and time again in our lives, we we face this this moment where we have to decide, are we going to be all in for real? Are we just going to be posers who say we want to be all in? And when we have opportunity in our life, we just turn away from it. We just turn away from it. So as the band comes up, would you pray with me? God, thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being a God who is moving in this city, who is moving in this community, who is moving in our neighborhoods. And tonight, I just ask that you would push us all, push us all to say, there goes the neighborhood, to know that a movement is about to start in our own backyard where we have to respond. And it starts with us. So tonight, if if there's people in the room who have issues that they need to work through, if they've come into this place with burdens, if they've come into this place with with struggles, God, right now, I just, I lay them down at your feet. Would you just remove that burden from these people in the room? Would you remind them that they're no longer chained to those things? They're no longer chained to their past. They're no, no longer chained to who they were. They're justified in you. God, would you whisper in their ear that they're loved, that they're wanted, and that they're qualified. God, as we move from this place and we try to grasp a hold of this concept of being all in, would you allow us to truly believe that in our hearts and and make choices and decisions that really are examples of what it looks like to be all in, of what it looks like to look like you. God, when I think about your life, I think about the greatest lover of all time. Somebody who literally loved to death. God, would you help me be that kind of person? Would you help all of us be like that? God, would you allow us to step out in faith tonight? And maybe for us, if we're in this room, um, Maybe we've never heard your voice. Maybe we, there's somebody in this room who doesn't know your name. 
that's you in the room tonight, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you in the room tonight, I want you to know that when Jesus was talking to the disciples and telling them about this mission that they were fully qualified for, that he was going to see them through and walk with them every step of the way for it, that he was going to provide for them, Jesus is promising that same thing to you tonight. He's not asking you to do this alone. In fact, he's saying, I see that you're lonely and broken and I want to fill your life in a way that has never been filled before. In a way that has never been filled before. And so if that's you, would you just embrace love tonight? Would you just say, God, I need you? We sing it in the song, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. And just lay down everything in your life. All the junk, all the crap, all the garbage, all the stuff that you think makes you unqualified to be a Christian. Because God loves you where you're at. He wants you to be a child of his. He wants to put your picture on his fridge. Tonight in this place, don't wait. Would you just say, God, I need you in my heart. Would you just fill me? God, I know that I have sinned and stumbled. I know that, I know that I'm broken and messed up, but would you just take that from me, God? allow me to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to you because I'm in desperate need of a father if that's you in the room tonight during this time of invitation I invite you to come up and just let me pray for you encourage you we don't have to do this thing alone I know that's scary but step out in faith tonight you gotta just ask that in these next few moments you would reveal to us exactly how you want us to respond Maybe it's laying something down at your feet to get right with you first before we can go out on this mission. Maybe it's us praying for those small moments that we've tended to ignore. Maybe it's praying for our own vanity of wanting the big and the spectacular. God, would you just allow us to humbly surrender at your feet tonight? Thank you for your love and your mercy and for your son who died on a cross, who was willing to lean into the supernatural force of you take the beating that we deserved to take the nails that we deserved to pay the price that we could never pay we ask all these things in your son's name amen so guys during this time of invitation during this next song you can respond in a few ways um, you can respond by giving tithes and offerings I heard it said one time that the best way to be like Christ is to give. And uh, I believe that God doesn't care if you have stuff, but he cares if your stuff has you. Maybe you're in this place and you're bound by your stuff. Would you just give without abandon tonight and faithfully believe that God is going to use that to touch somebody that's broken and hurting and needs that? Maybe a way that you want to respond tonight is by taking communion, which we have on each side. If you don't know what communion is, it represents what Jesus did on that cross. He bled and died for you and me. The blood that blotted out that past that you think is so broken and ugly. Jesus doesn't see that. When he looks at you, he sees his son who is perfect. When you're a child of the king. The last way that you can respond is just come up to this altar. And pray and say, you know what, God? Fill me. Fill me up. So I, when I leave this place, I can carry tonight into my week, into my day-to-day, into my backyard. So those little moments don't seem so difficult. So I don't make excuses anymore. 
whatever it is that God's calling you to do, I just encourage you to respond. Know that I'm down here if you need somebody to pray for you. I'd love to do that tonight.